Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 46. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, grateful that you've came back for another episode. I am sorry though that you are stuck with me today. We do not have a guest today. Um, and the reason for that is today I am telling my 2019 buck story. So uh, if you came back for that, I am just honored that you'd come back and want to listen to me ramble a little bit more. I'm going to do my best to be short. I will say that um, I am not going to do a whole lot of recap today. If you want to kind of hear the backstory and kind of the details of my rut hunt, go back two episodes and listen to the ramblings of a rut hunter. And I kind of bring you through um, just day by day what I do throughout the rut. But I don't get to what happens on November the 17th. So I'm going to get get to that in just a second. If you would like, subscribe, and do all that good stuff, that helps. Also, uh, if you are more of a visual person and you want to kind of visualize what I'm talking about and want to see the whole story in its entirety, go over to Facebook right now, look up Shedding Light Outdoors, or go over to YouTube and look up Shedding Light Outdoors and look for First Saddle Buck. And that is my story, my 2019 story. And I would love it if you'd hit subscribe, share it over there. That really helps us out. gets more people kind of connected, more people in the conversation. And I would just love it if you would do that. Especially on YouTube. We uh, haven't promoted a whole lot on YouTube and uh, probably should do that more. So if you'd hit subscribe over there, uh, we're not putting out a ton of videos. It's not like we're going to hit you every single day. Uh, But I know we have some exciting ones coming up. So don't want you to miss those. And uh, so there's the little plug there. Also, um, I, you guys know I don't have any sponsors or anything like that yet. Um, today's uh, episode is brought to you by Black Coffee. And speaking of that, um, we are doing a fundraiser at Shedding Light Outdoors. You know, it, it's uh, it does become a little uh, costly. You know, whenever you're putting out a podcast, and I got to pay a monthly subscription, and I do that out of pocket. Also, uh, we. You know, we pay for editing subscription software like Adobe Premiere to put out really high quality videos, or at least the best that we can. And so uh, we're just a small town, small time group. And so if you like what we're doing, if you like this podcast, um, I would you want to buy a, a bag of coffee? <laughs> I'll just ask you that. Um, a bag of coffee, uh, we will get part of the pro- proceeds if you go to the link below. It's called Just Love Coffee. I have bought co- uh, coffee from them before supporting another group, and it is good coffee. Uh, they do whole bean. They do ground um, and I'm not sponsored by them or anything like that, but what they allow us to do is to sell their coffee and they give us part of the proceeds. So if you would like to do that, um, if you would want to do that, love for you to get something back for giving to us. Uh, of course, we always welcome your donations, and if you would want to send just a donation to Shedding Light Outdoors, uh, we are not nonprofit status at this time, so unfortunately not a tax write-off, but um, would greatly appreciate any donation or anything like that. But Right now, we're just focused on the coffee, so if you'd want to go to the link below, 
Um, it's called Just Love Coffee. Follow our link so that it goes to us. I uh, would greatly appreciate your support in helping out this uh, this podcast, this uh, video thing that we do, and uh, also some exciting things that are in the future. I won't say too much yet, but uh, over the next year we have some plans that I think uh, to put out some good stuff that I, I think you'll enjoy. All right, enough of the plugging, enough of the coffee, enough of all that. You came here for a buck story, and that is what I'm very excited to give you today. Um, Once again, if you missed a previous episode, go back and maybe listen. I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, I will go back to the beginning. Uh, 2010, I became a compound bow hunter, and my dream was to really try and figure out the rut, figure out bucks, figure out (laughs) how to be a better bow hunter. And each year I have grown in that. Uh, 2017, I couldn't hunt the rut, but I shot my first buck prior to the rut. And I'm looking at him on the wall right now. And uh, it's Primo is his name because he was my first. And this buck, I didn't do anything to deserve it. I just went with my buddy. First time sit in a a Millennium stand on his property that he hadn't, hadn't hunted yet. And Two hours before, uh, two hours before dark, this buck just came by, and I, I got my first compound buck, and I, I've wanted to have that experience ever since. 2018, quick recap: my own one and only shot at a buck, came at a buck coming by at 30 yards, and I just froze, messed up, panicked. Well, I don't know what you call it, but I was a video uh, editor or video videographer that day, and just let the buck slip by. So I was very excited going into this season and shot a doe early, had a great rut, got on several different bucks, um, and as you already know, I injured two. Uh, Hit one high, just rusted a shot, and the other one was too far and reacted um, before my arrow could get there and kind of ducked away, and I didn't get the penetration that I needed, hit him in the shoulder. Both bucks, I believe, uh, lived. Um, I'm very confident in that, but... Uh, left me really frustrated, really wanting to get it done. But also, before the week before November 17th, I just kind of calmed myself down a little bit and just said, you know, you just need to just think outside the box, do something a little bit different. Uh, where you're going, you're seeing them, but, you know, you've hunted the same spot, you know, at least four or five times in like a two or three day span. They're going to pick, pick you out. I mean, it's only 30 acres, um, this back property that I was able to hunt. A guy at church had been telling me that he'd been seeing some big bucks on his property behind his house. So on November the 17th, I went up to him at church and I said, uh, his name's Gary. I said, Gary, uh, you still got those bucks back there? He's like, actually, I haven't seen him in a couple days, which to me was actually even more appealing. <laughs> it seems like when people say, yeah, I've been seeing him every single day and then you show up, you don't see him. But the fact that he hadn't seen him in a couple days seemed to be a draw to me for some reason. That and I was tired of hiking the three quarters of a mile back <laughs> to my property where I normally hunt with a loaded down backpack. I carry a frame pack now to carry everything in. My goal with saddle hunting was to be lightweight. Um, but whenever you're carrying camera gear, it is just really hard to do that. So I end up going in with maybe 30, 40 pounds. My, I, don't, I haven't weighed it, but it's, it's heavy. So I was excited to do a simple hunt. I told my wife about it and said, hey, I'd like to go hunt tonight. And the wind really wasn't right to go back to the other property where I'd shot the buck high on uh, October 17th. So 
I thought, you know what? I'm going to give this three-acre parcel um, a, a shot. I've never hunted there. Uh, I trust Gary, you know, his assessment of what a, a big buck is because he's hunted for many years. He's an older guy. And he had told me that there's a ladder stand there. So I told my wife I was going to head over there about 2, but she needed me to run over to Kroger. So I didn't get over there until 3 o'clock. And I uh, went behind his house, and I wasn't really sure where to go. The wind was supposed to be blowing right to left. And it was a little swirly whenever I got there. Um, I get in behind his house, and there's this uh, th- this little sliver of timber that he owns. And basically, it's a little bottom uh, across a creek. And the creek is, um, you know, it's not very wide, um, but it is a little deep, you know. So I crossed the creek, got up on the other side, and I found a deer path. And so I started taking it to my left and uh, started walking, and I thought, there's got to be a spot where they're crossing this this creek. And the reason I knew that is they had said that they'd seen uh, deer a lot out in Gary's yard and down by his tree stand. I wanted to hop in a new spot. I didn't want to try a tree stand. I wanted to use my saddle, um, one, because I just like it more, and two, I, I, I think it gives you the element of surprise, and a deer would not expect you in the tree that you're in, really, whereas if they've ever busted a, a hunter in a, in a, in a you know, ladder stand, sometimes they're a little bit more cautious, so... Because of that, I started walking just a little ways, maybe 15, 20 yards, and I came to the spot where I saw where they were crossing the creek and going up into the backyard. So I'm literally in somebody's backyard, like with I'm probably within 80 yards of Gary's house, <laughs> and uh, I found a tree in the middle of like this thick, viney, uh, you know, just short, stubbly growth, no big tree. There was only maybe two or three trees that I could have gotten in in this particular location. So I picked this tree, I couldn't get up real high, had a vine, and I started to get settled in. And um, it was not my smoothest setup. I actually did things a little bit differently, and one of my mistakes that I made was I uh, had hung my backpack up high and was getting stuff out of it, and I never do that. I always hang it down around my knees. And for some reason I'd hung it high, well whenever you know I climb up, using spurs and I get on a ring of steps and then I've got my lineman's belt the whole way so I'm safe and then once I kind of get everything set up then I tether in at the top and so I hadn't tethered in yet and I'd actually taken my tether off and put it in my lap well normally what I do is, is tether in right then actually and then tie everything in so I got two ropes holding me in and I'm safe but because I had put that backpack up there I put my tether on my lap I continue to set up, put up my camera arm, do everything, and uh, kind of strap stuff in. And all of a sudden, I hear the slipping, and I look down, and it's too late. My tether has fallen <laughs> to the ground. And I've got all this stuff in my way now between my lineman's belt and going down. So I, I know it's going to take me at least 10 minutes probably if, to, to get everything out of the way so I can climb down and get my tether. Fortunately, I'm on a bow hunting group. Um, with a group of really cool guys, teammate, give you a little shout out, Make America 8 Again. Um, it's part of bowhuntings.com's forum, and basically you just sign up for this contest. They put you on a team, and there's several teams, a lot of guys get involved in it. And if you shoot a doe, it's 50 points for your team, and then if you shoot a buck, it's whatever he scores for the rack. And it's just for fun. It just connects you with guys all around the country. One of those guys on that team, I believe it was Eric, I could, I think that's right, Eric uh, had told me the week before I dropped my coat out of the stand, I, I have a, I have a, 
bad habit of, of dropping things, apparently. And he told me the trick about tying a rope around my arrow and then lowering it and using the broadhead to kind of hook whatever's down there. So I proceeded to do that, and man, I about gave up. It was way easier to hook a coat than it was my my rope um, with my tether. But after about two minutes of trying, I finally got it. I hoisted it up, got my tether, got tethered in, brought up my bow, and finally got everything situated. Did a little pano with the camera, gave a little interview, and within 10 minutes of me getting into the tree and getting set up, all of a sudden, the action took place. And what happened was, uh, let me describe it, to my right is this, this bottom that leads up to the, this little creek. And uh, it's not, like I said, not a very wide creek, kind of deep, more of like a, I don't know, you might just call it like a cut or a ravine. And then it's Gary's yard. That's what's to my right. And it's open. And I'm really kind of banking on a deer coming off the hill somewhere in front of me and coming down to that flat. And then off to my left, it's a bunch of thick stuff. The ravine cuts back and kind of uh, goes up, splits this uh, hill, and basically there's there's two hills to my left, and um, you know, and it's a real tight. All of this is like within like a probably the farthest I could have possibly shot given the uh, distances was maybe 30, 40 yards. Like everything is really thick, especially to my left hand side. So of course, a deer comes into my left hand side. <laughs> This doe comes off the hill, and there was actually two does. I didn't realize that until I had watched the the footage back. But two does come in, and they're coming in like something's behind them. Like you could just kind of tell the way that they were walking. And this this bigger doe uh, that I saw stopped, and it looked like she was going to come right out into the open to the flat. And I look behind her, and up on the hill, I see horns, and I see what I believe is a shooter buck. And then he starts doing the grunts. And he is just non-stop grunting this doe. And instead of coming out to the open side of the tree, she does a, a kind of a cutback, and she then comes to my left-hand side. And she comes just barreling by. I was able to point the camera in that direction, and before I know it, that buck is coming off the hill. And I have about three seconds to react. I draw back my bow. I'm looking at this buck trying not to hyperventilate because he's definitely one of the biggest bucks that I've seen all season. And this buck is coming through some of the thicker stuff. And I thought I had a little bit of a window. It was a blur in my mind. I don't even remember what what the shot picture really looked like. Um, But I just know, once again, I got way too excited and reacted way too fast. And I fired a shot. I hear a, a bad noise. I hear a bad noise and uh, sounded like my arrow had hit something, and then I see my arrow kicking off in a different direction, and I have completely missed this buck. I was only, I, I was almost positive that I hadn't even touched him yet. So he, uh, instead of running off, he, he trots maybe five yards, actually comes into my field of view on my camera. So I don't get this on my camera because it was a little too far right of my camera's uh, where my camera could reach at that point. And at this point, I'm I'm shaking. I'm literally shaking. One thing I hadn't told you in, in prior to this was I had taken my quiver off my bow, which I usually don't do. Um, the reason is, if, if you listen to any of my video, you'll, you'll definitely hear it. Whenever I shoot the two bucks that I injure, you can without a doubt hear a rattle whenever I shoot my bow. 
Um, in fact, today I'm going to a bow shop and probably going to take it over there to get it silenced. But part of the issue is I believe my broadheads rattle up inside my quiver. Um, I like my quiver. I think it's a good one, but I just haven't silenced everything the way that I should. So I had taken it off to try and reduce or dampen the sound for whenever I shoot. And so there he is still standing there about five yards from where I missed him, still within 20 yards, and I don't have another arrow. So I have to reach around the tree. I put my quiver in my backpack, pull the quiver out of my backpack, reattach it to my bow, get an arrow knocked, and at this point, <laughs> I am shaking so bad that my arrow, I have to hold it with my finger because it is tinging like you can hear it, me shaking. <laughs> I have no idea how this buck didn't run away. Other than the fact that maybe he thought, uh, I don't know if it's a fact, but he, he maybe he thought I was a squirrel because I was making so much noise in the tree. I, I don't know. Maybe he just had love on his brain and he was just stupid. But this buck calmed down walked a few steps, and he just starts thrashing a tree with his antlers. And so I was able to get that on film, and I'm like, what's he going to do? Is he gonna... This doe, all the while, though, is kind of coming in behind me, and I was kind of afraid that she was going to like pick me out in this tree because it was a little bit more open that way on the hillside. She basically had came... I found out later why they came the way they came. Instead of going across, going down the path that I saw and going across the creek there, they have to jump the creek there. So instead, they can kind of skirt around uh, the fork of the creek and come back around on the other hillside. I know that's hard to explain, but if you watch the video, you kind of get what I'm talking about. So anyhow, this buck's standing there. He's raking a tree. He takes a few more steps, and I'm watching him, and he just lays down. Like, I could not believe that I had taken a shot at this buck, and a few seconds later, this buck just lays down. And he beds down, and I'm wondering, okay, can I... Sh I had a little bit of a window to his vitals. Now, there was a, a few small limbs, but he was only maybe 20, 25 yards away. Uh, another small detail, I couldn't find my rangefinder. First time all year, I haven't put my rangefinder where I normally put it, and I thought I'd left it at home, come to find out it was in the bottom of my bag. So I don't have a rangefinder on this hunt, but I, I realized everything was probably going to be 20 and under, most likely, anyhow, just because of how thick it was. Buck's bedded. I'm trying to debate, should I shoot him in his bed? And all of a sudden, this buck just pops up, uh, and he starts grunting, and I realize he's going to go up after that doe. And sure enough, he starts trotting along, and I uh, go ahead and draw back because I'm like, I know if I'm going to have a shot, it's going to be right here. I kind of point the video camera in that general direction. And I also had my GoPro running, thankfully. This buck starts walking. And he's going through some really thick stuff. So I try and forecast or predict where he's going to keep walking. And I find a little bit of an opening. Um, it wasn't much, maybe just a couple feet. And I knew that he was going to keep moving, so I'd have to stop him in that spot, probably about 20 yards away. So this buck's walking, grunting the whole way, and I mean, my heart at this point is just shaking, but I've had enough time to calm down and compose myself. I feel a little bit better, got my bow drawn, and this buck hits that spot. I remember he looks up at me. I kind of lean out a little bit more to make sure I'm clear of some limbs, and I fire off the shot. At that point, everything kind of becomes a blur. I hear the hit. I feel pretty good about it. He runs up the hill, and he goes about maybe 50, 60, 70 at the most. Most like, I think it was probably under 70 yards. And this buck's running full tilt. But then all of a sudden, I see that beautiful, if you've ever seen a car do a donut or, or a, you know, spin out on a gravel road where the back end just kind of does that, 
that's what he does. He's running up there. All of a sudden, his back end spins out to the left like something's wrong, and then he just tips over. And he does a few kicks and rolls, and he's down. And I, at that point, absolutely lost my mind. <laughs> like, I think uh, two years worth of waiting, also two bucks that I had injured, plus a buck that I had just missed, and then somehow got a second shot on, I completely lose it in the stand. Um, and yeah, you'll have to watch the video. I, I'm a little embarrassed, but not really. I mean... I'm a pretty open individual, obviously, on this podcast, you can tell that, and I just kind of air out the way I'm feeling, and you can see it's just pure, absolute excitement, adrenaline, shaking, weird, goofy faces, and I, I just, I don't even know what to say in that moment, just excited because I've just watched this buck go down. I'm still being pretty quiet at this point, not trying to like shout and hoot and holler, really, because this buck just went down, and I don't want him to pop back up. Uh, so I, I gave an interview and all that fun stuff and um, just kept waiting and text my buddies uh, big buck down and, and and just so you're in my mind whenever I shot this buck I, I mean he was he just looked so doggone big big body his grunting um, whenever I whenever I looked at his rack I would have guessed this deer if I had to tell somebody you know what he was I, I was guessing somewhere in the 130s to 140 range, which to me would, would be an absolute giant. Um, I wasn't super concerned about that necessarily. It was more so I just knew that he was a buck that I wanted to shoot, like I've said before. And so I had no idea, you know, uh, had, I, I had no idea until I actually put the tape on this buck what he would score out at. But before I get to all that, I uh, did some interviews, called my buddy Trav, told my wife, and um, this is rather early. Like I said, I was only in the stand 10 minutes. I shot this buck at 3.45 in the afternoon. And just I think I caught him chasing a doe. I think he uh, had probably been maybe on lockdown with another doe and was trying to find the remaining does, and he was hot, and she was hot. And, man, it just unbelievably worked out in that situation. So I called my buddy Greg, uh, who has a camera and also has hunted this spot before. And uh, Greg came over and met me about the time I was getting down out of the tree. And I uh, went and tried to find the arrow. Couldn't find it initially. I was able to find it later. It did. I did get a clean pass through. And I uh, started walking up to where this buck was at. I had to cross the creek again and got up over there uh, on the side of this hill and walked up on this buck. And I, I had zero disappointment whenever I grabbed a hold of him and, and got to look at him. He was just a cool older buck. I don't know. I, I would guess he was at least three and a half, if not four. Um, and uh, I mean, I just felt such a sense of relief, such a f sense of excitement that finally, um, finally it had came together and just, like I said, in the most unexpected way. And so I uh, put my tag on that buck proudly, and Greg and I, it was pretty easy drag to get him out to the road. Had to get him down and across that, that deep creek. That was probably the hardest part. And um, there he is. There's my uh, 2019 buck, and I just uh, called him Shane. Um, <laughs> I had no relationship with this buck. The uh, reason I called him Shane is in my little hunting group, one of the guys in the group, uh, for the longest time, kept calling somebody Shane. We didn't know who it was, and we realized that he thought my name was Shane. So now I'm known as Shedding Light Travis on the forum, and I'm also known as Shane. And so that's what the buck's name has become. 
I, uh, I took the buck over to a uh, processor. I normally do my own. Um, what I like to do with a deer is, is usually can it. Um, I'll cut it up into chunks, put it in a pint jar, put a beef bouillon cube on for flavor, maybe some onion and garlic, and then uh, put that basically in a water bath and a pressure canner, and it is delicious. Put it over deer noodles, make like a pot roast kind of sandwich with it. Um, but I have plenty of that left over from last year, and my wife really, really loves deer sticks. And I don't know how to make them. And so I found a guy that uh, processed my dough, did it very cheap, and so uh, took it over to this guy, and he had it done, had my buck done in like two days. I'm taking the, uh, the mount, basically going to do an antler mount, and I can't wait to show you guys whenever it's finally done. I'm waiting on some pieces to come in, um, but rather than get them mounted, I did go to Colorado this year, spent some money and uh, trying to save uh, some money. Um, and so anyhow, I, I decided to go ahead with uh, an antler mount and kind of a DIY project that I'll, I'll show you guys. But I thought it might be good to kind of wrap this thing up uh, just kind of with some of my, my key takeaways from this hunt and from this season and maybe even last season, just some things that I've observed. Uh, I, I fully realized that I was blessed by the Lord um, to get this buck. Uh, you can call it luck or whatever you want, but I'm, I'm hunting in a, f a first time sit on a spot that I've never been on three acres. Um, you've got to be somewhat fortunate or lucky for that to come together like that. But there are some things I think that help lead up to this point, and even in in that fact, there are some some nuggets that might be helpful to you. And and the first thing I would say is that first sits are huge. Um, I've always believed that if you can um, save a spot for a first sit on a good cold front in the early season or during the rut, um, it's just so much better than going in there in September and October. Unless you got a deer pattern, which I've never been real good at doing. I don't run trail cameras, um, at least not this year I haven't. You know, your first sit, both of the bucks that uh, I have now shot with my compound have been on first-time sits. And I've heard of so many guys that have a similar experience. They just don't expect you to be in that spot. And they give you at least an opportunity that first time. You, you mess it up one or two times, or even if you don't mess it up, even if your wind's perfect, those deer are traveling through there at night. And if they catch your scent um, in that spot, I, I, I almost guarantee it the next time they come through, they'll probably be on more of alert if they come through that spot at all. They might come downwind of that spot the next time just to check it. I mean, their whole M.O. is staying alive. And so they'll do everything they can, especially the older ones who have stayed alive longer. Um, so I think first sits, uh, I think being able to move in closer. Um, this was my first buck from a saddle. And I, I will say that I, I, without a doubt, for me, the saddle works really well. It might not be your cup of tea. It might not be something you want to try. I think a... Um, just being able to be mobile somehow, though, is is extremely important, at least to me. Just putting up a ladder stand and hunting the same spots over and over again. Um, to me, I, I just, I just, <laughs> unless it's the first sit of the season, once again, it's going to be harder for that to work. I think. Um, the ladder stand that this guy had on his property, I do not think that the deer would have came to that point. The way that they were going, they were chasing. She wasn't interested in feeding. She was trying to get away from this buck, and he was chasing her. And um, So I, I think had I not had a way to be mobile and get up into the woods where they were at, um, I, I would not have had this opportunity. I also wouldn't have had the opportunity at all the bucks um, on my main property. Uh, what I was able to do is see where a buck was walking and then move closer to or downwind of that spot on my next hunt 
and all but one of my rut hunts, I, I had action every single time. And uh, maybe that's just the area I'm in. Maybe I just got lucky, or maybe there's something to this first sit um, being mobile thing. So take that for what it's worth. You can do that with a climber. You can do that with a, a hang-on stand. Um, I find it very easy to do with my saddle and my setup at this point. So, um, you know. Uh, if you have questions about saddle hunting, I, like I said, I'm not sponsored by anybody, but I always am just an open book on my experience with what I've uh, done there. Send me a, a message if you have questions, and I'll just tell you what I know, which is only a year and a half's worth of experience. So, um, well, basically about a year, actually, at this point in the game. So, uh, the other thing I learned, practice during the season shooting. Um, I have done this in the past, and... Uh, I, once my broadheads go on, I don't have like a bunch of extra arrows. So um, usually I put my broadheads on and I have expandable broadheads. So I don't uh, shoot at my targets with those. Um, I have a practice tip that comes off. Regular broadhead goes on and then I don't practice as much as I should. Um, and in between the 45-yard uh, shot and the 50-yard shot on the buck, I practiced a good bit. So whenever I settled in on that buck at 50 yards, man, I felt good. I mean, I, I really had practiced, and I was used to shooting 50 yards. But once again, I just had to learn the lesson that 50 yards is too far for me at this stage in the game. It may, probably should, is too far for most people because a deer can react um, so quickly in that amount of time, especially if he's on alert at all. And this buck was on alert. He was looking my way. I'd been rattling. He was looking for the source of the rattling. Um, might have even caught my movement. And um, so the practicing, though, is just so important to, because during the season you can bump your sights and you might not know where you're hitting. Also, there's just the mechanics of shooting. You know, our season in Ohio goes from September 30th all the way up until February. And if I never take a practice shot during that time, I mean, come November, December, that's a long time without having actually shot your bow, uh, you know, any distance. And so those are kind of my takeaways on that. Um, I just encourage you, if you have not practiced, even if you're shooting a crossbow, I think we just owe it to the animals. Take the doggone broadheads off, put your field tips on, step out in your backyard, and take a few shots. Um I think we owe it to the animals. I owe it to the animals to do that. And from this year forward, uh, from this moment forward, I'm going to make sure that I do that. Make sure that I practice more during the season um, and stay stay where I need to be as far as uh, proficiency with my bow. Um, I already said it, 50 yards too far. Uh, definitely I'm a 40 and under guy at this point. I'm a believer. Um, my bow's too loud. But even if my bow wasn't loud, I still think that if they have any indication you're there, there's just so much that can happen. There's guys that do it, um, and, and maybe they do it consistently, or maybe they're just showing you the one time that it worked out. I could have very easily killed that, that second buck that I shot, very easily. The, the arrow just needed to be to the left maybe a couple inches, um, but I didn't. And that's why I show it to you on my videos, because my reality is deer reacts way too quickly. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about grunting and rattling. I, I think it helps some this year. It definitely brings in the smaller deer. Um, I, the time I rattled that buck into 50 yards, um, he was definitely on high alert coming in looking for the source of the, the sound. Problem was most of the time whenever I was grunting and rattling, I was in a spot in the woods that was a little open. Um, 
a little too open because the deer would come in. This happened on the back property as well. The deer would come into that spot kind of looking around, and whenever they don't see the other deer, they're a little confused, and they kind of skirt around the area. Um, I think maybe they're coming in with their guard up because, they one, they don't want to get gored in the side by some giant buck that they think might be around. Um, they're also checking with their noses and, and all that. So I think the grunting and rattling can help in some situations depending on where you're at. Um, but it's probably best, honestly, to not do it. I would say more, more often than not. I have a hard time not doing it. I like doing something every 20 minutes, keep myself occupied. I try and stay off my phone as much as possible. The guys in my hunting group are probably laughing right now knowing that that's not true. But regardless of that, <laughs> um, I don't really have a set in stone yes or no on the hunt, on the grunting and rattling. I'll just say this. I did it most of my rut hunts. Most of my rut hunts within 20 minutes to an hour, I would see a deer. Was it related? Did they hear me? Did they come their direct my direction? Maybe. Did I scare away a bunch of other ones? Don't know. Uh, last observation on that is the buck that I shot. I didn't have a chance to grunt or rattle. I have no uh, no clue on how that would have gone had I done that in that given scenario. And I wasn't planning on doing it in that scenario just because of it being a new spot. I just wanted to see what happened. So there's kind of my key takeaways. Um, I uh, did get the buck scored for my uh, hunting contest. He came in at 116 uh, and four eighths inches, and I I want to tell you I am just absolutely thrilled with that. Um, it's not a giant by any means, not going to break any record record books, and um, I'm okay with that. He is without a doubt bigger than Primo. Uh, Shane's a, a bigger deer, um, and he's an older deer, which is cool too. Um, but I, I'm just I'm just proud of being able to compose myself in the moment and get that second shot the way that I needed to. And I'm just grateful for God allowing me to have that opportunity. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I know that we've talked a little bit about the age and the rack, so I won't go too much into that. But I, to me, it's just, I just took the next step up. Um, maybe next year, a buck like that, I might wait. If it was early in the season, I might pass it. But I don't know if I would. I'm still... Uh, I've only 10 years at this, and out of the 10 years, I've only killed two bucks. So I'm still getting the experience in the moment. I'm still making a lot of mistakes, and I, I want to get past that so that one day, I hope, a 130, 140, maybe even bigger buck steps out. And whenever that does come together for that to happen, I want to be ready. I don't want to injure that buck. I don't want to make those mistakes. And and I get it. In order for <laughs> there to be 140s and 150s, I got to let some of these other bucks go. But all that to say, I uh, have no regrets about shooting this buck. I'm very excited about it and just and super pumped. The last thing is just my my spiritual observation. Uh, looking at 2018 was a pretty tough year, as you guys have probably already heard the story. Um, uh, today is actually my dad's, uh, would have been his 58th birthday. He passed away last year in March, and then my daughter passed away in September on uh, September 25th. And I've talked about both of those on the podcast before. Um, if you want to hear about my daughter and, and that whole story, it's on the Don Higgins episode. But, um, you know, that, that led for a, a crazy 2018 season. I just, part of it was hunting, part of it was healing and getting into the woods and spending that time. But whenever I didn't get a buck kind of like I thought I would, um, you know, it was, I won't say disappointing. It was just challenging. It was just hard. Um, 
And so when this year rolled around, I was really excited, ready, wanted to elk hunt. And then once I got back from that, really just get into the the woods and and go after deer. And all I could think about for the longest time was elk. And so that kind of kept my mind off deer. And then, of course, I went deer crazy. And um, I think what this year taught me was it's it's not going to be easy and i prayed for the opportunity after uh, a couple episodes ago I had a guest on talking about praying for a buck and i've i've prayed before but maybe not as intense and as uh, intentionally as what I did. <laughs> um, I prayed that God give me an opportunity to buck. And uh, to be honest, he did several times. Um, there's a couple other opportunities that I had during the rut where I, maybe I could have gotten drawn or I, you know, I just didn't make the most of it. And, and so he gave me those opportunities. I started thinking maybe I need to be more specific and ask God to actually help me draw back and shoot and kill a deer. <laughs> and, uh, but I just, I thought, you know what, I, I, I really just need to enjoy the hunt. And I think, sometime during that week before November 17th, I, I just kind of calmed myself down and I just came off of hunting the rut hard and I just gave myself a little bit of time to breathe and just really just wanted to go out and enjoy an evening hunt. That was my whole goal. And so, and I just kind of thought, you know, I ought to go to this property. And I just, I went in with low expectations, just going in to, well, excited to hunt a new property. You never know what can happen, but for me, it was just going in just to enjoy it and be in the woods. And it was a beautiful night and and I didn't even have time. Normally, I get up in once I'm finally set. That's whenever I say my little prayer. I didn't even have time to say it. Um, I think God was teaching me that in His time, things will happen. And and I might not have. Maybe I didn't even get a buck this year, and I still would have probably learned that lesson. Um, that there's going to be challenges. I, I in my video I talk about James one verse two, my favorite pa- one of my favorite passages, which says, "Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance." And it goes on to talk about how perseverance is going to actually make us be more mature and complete in Christ. And so, in hunting, without a doubt, learning these mistakes the hard way. Um, there's some things that I will do differently the rest of this season and next year, without a doubt. Um, though, and I would not have learned it had I killed a buck on the opening night or killed that first buck that came out. Um, I hate injuring deer. I'm not happy about that. But I am grateful that God at least gave me the learning opportunity to become a better hunter. And the same is true in life. Um, People ask me all the time, how do you deal with the loss of your, your daughter? How do you, you know, at the same time you lost your dad. And now, you know, I don't know if I've talked much about this, but my mother has Alzheimer's. And while she's not got the dementia stuff real bad, she just can't, she can't talk. She literally cannot get words more than like little phrases, little tiny phrases that she repeats over and over out. And so we have to, you know, she's in assisted living. People ask me, how do you go through that? And I guess my thought on that, I don't think I'm anything special uh, at all. Um, uh, I, I'm not. It's the reality that I know that those things are going to make me into a better man, uh, and not just for me being a better person, but for God's sake. Um, I believe God wants our glory. He cares. Uh, he doesn't need it, but he, he desires it. He wants us to love Him. And so anything that I can do um, to point people back to Him and, and use these stories to help people out, um, I am able to relate to so many more groups of people now. Um, people with special needs kids, I have an understanding. People who have lost a parent, I have an understanding. People who have um, Alzheimer's, I, I, I get part of that. I won't say I know 100% what it's like because each person's story is unique, 
But God has given me that as something uh, to grow me. And um, it's a, it's not what he really wants. I know that. I know that he mourns with me. He's not doing this just to be a mean, you know, militant father that's trying to teach me lessons the hard way. I think more so it's, um, it's, it's him just showing me... Um, I don't know. I think it's sometimes hard to wrap your mind around. I don't think he's the militant father. I think he's the father that cares and he wants to give me an opportunity to grow. And all this stuff is a side effect of just the way the world is now. But one day I know it's all going to be right. So there's that. There's my little mini sermon for you. My main thing that I think I learned this year, once again, is perseverance, continue to grow. And I hope that maybe there's something there that might have been an encouragement or help to you, or hopefully you just enjoyed this story. So that's it. That's the story. That's my wrap-up. I am uh, excited that it just feels like a sense of relief that it's over now in some ways. Um, I, I haven't hunted in over a week and a half, and it's crazy uh, to go that long. <laughs> so I probably will go after a doe during muzzleloader season. Uh, might even go after one with a bow again. Who knows? Uh, we'll see. I'm able to kill, I think, six deer statewide, but one more in this county anyways, and we'll kind of go from there. So all of that to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you for following along and giving me support and encouragement along the way. Uh, if you like this, if you want to share it, pass it along. Once again, we're doing the coffee fundraiser, and we've got the videos on Facebook, YouTube, so there's all that stuff as a reminder. Thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate your time. Um, and remember to shed the light.